Good morning. Well, I have the honor and privilege today of uh, introducing Pastor Philip Beattie here at St. Paul's. If you were here last week, you might have heard that we are doing a pastor swap today. So Pastor Ryan is actually in Hartford City Church where uh, Pastor Philip Beattie is the pastor. And uh, we have the privilege of having him here today. So uh, just in case you missed it too, I have one more announcement before I introduce him. Last week at our membership meeting, we voted uh, Pastor Ryan to be full-time uh, as a pastor here at St. Paul's. So that was a really exciting moment for our church and for, for Ryan, and uh, we're so excited for that. We have a uh, card in the back of the uh, chapel today, so uh, maybe on your way out, if you wouldn't mind signing that card and maybe putting a little message, Pastor Ryan's uh, uh, approaching his two-year anniversary here at the church. We think it would be great to uh, just give him that card with all our messages in there. So be encouraged to do that. And uh, in case you didn't know, Pastor Phil uh, has played a really important part uh, here at St. Paul's. He was Ryan's youth minister as in his senior year of high school, and Ryan got his first internship and opportunity under Pastor Philip uh, at Trinity Church in Manchester. Two and a half years ago, he, he planted the uh, Hartford City Church with the Evangelical Church, and prior to that, he spent 25 years in youth ministry. Uh, in various churches across the, the state and also across uh, the country. He was fr originally from Colorado, where he went to uh, Colorado Christian University, and now he has, uh, he's married with four children and three cats. I guess uh, one, of, one of the kids is left out with a cat, but... <laughs> so uh, let's give him a warm welcome today. <laughs> I'm glad my kids didn't hear that because they're trying to get that fourth cat. I never thought I would be a cat family at all, let me tell you, <laughs> but they just keep coming. I don't know. Um, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. That was a good introduction, so I guess you know a little bit about me, about our church, and I'm um, just really excited to be here, really excited to share in, in uh, the kingdom of God because we're all part of one body and one kingdom and one family, and it's so good to be able to encourage one another. Uh, so I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, I've known Ryan for a long time, watched him grow and develop, just so happy to see what God is doing in his life. You know, one of, um, you know him as a pastor. When I first met him, he was leading worship with the youth band at our youth group, you know, and he's such a gifted worship leader. I don't know if he's ever led worship here, but just anointed. But back then, he was leading worship with the youth band when I first came on. And, and uh, I'll go back in time for some of us. We had the overhead projectors. You know, everybody remembers that. We, we had that, you know, you had to slide them up, you know, and you had to get them just right, and it was that whole thing, you know. So I remember him and I trying to figure out who was going to run the slides on Sunday night for youth group because we wanted to get it just right. Uh, but then I got a chance to hear him speak as well as we ministered together and thought, man, this man is so gifted. Um, you know, not only a gifted worship leader, but a gifted communicator of God's word as well. So I'm so excited that he approached me with this idea and excited that he's blessing our church in Hartford um, this morning. Um, we are a church that's just two and a half years old in Hartford. And, uh, you know, the, the Lord called us to go and plant there. Um, my friend Angel is here with us from Hartford City Church. And um, I'm just excited for what God is doing. We have a really diverse community uh, right there in the heart of Hartford. And we're really trying to be a blessing um, in that city. So um, today I, I wanted to speak with you from John chapter 9, just a message God has laid on my heart. And, and I'm going to try not to take up too much of our time this morning because I know everybody is looking forward to the big sporting event coming up, right? Am I right? Yeah. No? Nobody? <laughs> I was going to say, I love the Winter Olympics too. They start this week, man. Winter Olympics, right? Everybody's looking for, right? That's what we're talking about. Because as a Denver Bronco fan, I'm looking to the Winter Olympics right now because it's skiing that's on my mind. And, uh, you know, I might watch the game a little bit this afternoon. We'll see what happens. Though, of course, I'm going to do that. Um, I, wanna, I want us to look at John chapter 9 this morning. 
Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, I'll go ahead and read that for us this morning. A uh, very short passage from John uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus, the friend of Jesus, writes this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Let's pray. Lord God, we just ask that you would open our eyes to the message that you have for us this morning, God. Lord, we pray that your power and your presence would be released in this place, in this moment, God. We know that you are always with us, God, but we desire to see a manifestation of your presence, to access your voice in a way that is powerful and transformative this morning, God. So I just pray your blessings upon all of us that have gathered here. Jesus, I pray that your words would speak. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us again. In the name, the power, and the authority of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of a background to this story, a little bit of context and setting to understand what's being said here, okay? So just prior to this, in John chapter 8, Jesus had stood up in the temple, and he had proclaimed to the people that were listening there, I am the light of the world, okay? And when he did this was a very significant time because they had just finished the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the celebrations the Jewish people had where they spent a week celebrating uh, what God had done in their lives when he had moved them through the desert and through the wilderness, but also looking forward to the prophecies where God said he would pour out his water, he would pour out water from the temple like the Holy Spirit, and that light would shine, that there would be a light that shines in the world so that it's not even night or day. So they had this festival during this time, okay? And uh, at this festival, they would light these, um, bring the picture up here, they would light these pillars of light. They were on pillars, there were golden bowls on the top, and the priests would climb up, and they would pour oil in them, and they would light them up, okay? And they would do this every Every night of this week-long festival. And if you can imagine living in a time where they didn't have street lights, okay, where, where there's no electricity, there's, at night it's dark, and in the temple they would light it up. They would just fill these pillars, these bowls, golden bowls, and the light would reflect off of the limestone that the temple was made out of, and there was all these gold in the temple, and it would just light up the whole city. That's what people wrote. They said the entire city of Jerusalem was ablaze with light, okay, as they would do this every single night, looking for that time when God said he would come and there would be no more night or day, but the light of God would fill the whole earth. So every night they're praying and hoping for this promise. And it was a celebration. It was a party, if you could imagine. Again, in a place where, you know, you just got to light a candle if you want some light at night. This was like everything was lit up. I mean, this was truly, if I might say it, lit. I mean, this was a party. This was a celebration in every sense of the word. In fact, they would send men out. And I love, I love what the rabbi said, that they would pick men who were righteous and who had done good deeds. You know, I wonder how you got on the list for that. You know, somebody said, I nominate so-and-so. He's righteous. He's done good deeds. And they would give them palm branches and torches, and they would run through the city streets, and they'd be dancing and celebrating and praising God and asking God to bring the light that he had promised to the world. So in John chapter 8, 
we find Jesus standing in the temple. And if you look at the context, it's right after this festival had finished. So the day after the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, in the morning probably, Jesus is standing there in the temple where all this has been going on. And I imagine that it's as the sun is coming up and these lights are beginning to fade and die down. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Wow, can you imagine how powerful that was in that place? That's the context and the setting of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, it's not only important the context of where he said this, but the setting as well. And this is going to apply to the story that we're looking at this morning, the narrative. It says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Why is that significant? Why was he teaching near the place where the offerings were put? Right? Well, that's the point he chose to bring this message that I am the light of the world. Well, it's important because there were certain areas in the temple that certain people couldn't go into. And for instance, the women were not allowed past a certain point. And anybody who wasn't Jewish, anybody who was from another background, another ethnicity, another race, they were not allowed to go very far into the temple. There was a place where only the men could go, where only the Jewish people could go. But Jesus didn't teach from there. Because Isaiah the prophet had said that the Messiah would be a light of salvation for the Gentiles, meaning all peoples on the face of the earth. So he comes out to where the offerings are kept, which is in the court of women. Amen? You know why it was there, right? Because they want to get their offerings. <laughs> we don't want to allow women or other races to go too far, but we do want to get their money. So we're going to put the offering place out here so that everybody can bring in their offerings, right? So this was a place where everybody was gathered. And I feel that's so significant because when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's reminding us that he is the light for everyone. John had said in chapter 1 that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone in the world. And he says later on in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he says later on in 1 John that Jesus Christ is an atoning sacrifice not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This message is for everyone. The invitation is for everyone, anyone who would believe. Not everyone will. Not everyone will choose. Not everyone, but Jesus comes and he says, listen, I am the light for the world, as was prophesied, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for everyone. And then the disciple John chooses to place this narrative, this story of Jesus healing this blind man to illustrate or illuminate this truth that Jesus is the light of the world. So he opens it up with Jesus and the disciples walking along, walking along the road, and there's a man that's indicated there that's been blind from the time he was born. And the disciples are the one who initiate this conversation, which is interesting. They say, Jesus, tell us, we want to know who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus turns to them and he says, listen, and I love the way the message version puts it. He said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. Don't look for someone to blame, but look for what God can do. And I think that's a message right there in and of itself. Don't look for someone to blame, but look for what God can do. 
And don't we often find ourselves in the same situation, right? If we are in a situation, if we are in a struggle, if we are in some kind of situation where we know that we need help, where it is not the way that we want life to be, we oftentimes can look for someone to blame. Well, whose fault is this, right? Who, what happened to me? These circumstances. Usually what I hear all the time in my context is people say, Pastor, you just don't understand. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that. Pastor, you just don't understand. Fill in the blank. What I've been going through what I've had to face, you don't understand my family, you don't understand this, you just don't understand what I've been through, and we're constantly looking for someone to blame. Now, the disciples were doing that as well, right? So sometimes when we're not in the situation, we look at people in the struggle, right? Because some of us, by the grace of God, have not been in the struggle that others are. But we look at people in the struggle, and we try to figure out who's to blame, right? Who's blamed? Who's sinned? What's failed this person that they're in this struggle that they're in? And Jesus says, when God is about to move, when God is about to display his glory, while it is still daytime, we need, you need to look for what God is going to do. And I believe there might be a time in this time and day when God is asking us not to look for who to blame, but to look for what he is about to do. Looking for what he is about to do. You see, there was an understanding that maybe people that were born blind, maybe it was a, maybe it was a curse. You know, maybe it was something that they had done wrong, their parents had done wrong. Many people still believe that around the world, that if you're born with a physical handicap or defect, that that means that you're cursed by God, right? And you have to remember that the times were very different back then. In fact, blindness was more common in Jesus' day than it is now just because of medical advances and technology and, and accidents could happen. And if your eye was damaged, they didn't have all of the resources that we have to repair eyesight. So many people went blind during their life. From disease, sanitation, accidents, things that happened. There were no laser eye clinics back in Jesus' day, right? But he was born blind. So they couldn't even say, oh, it was an accident or somebody else did this or it was a disease that I got. He's like, I was born blind. Why is it this way? Do you hear that question sometimes? Do you ever ask God, why is it this way? Why is the world this way, God? When we see the suffering of others, don't we say, God, why? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And sometimes Jesus says, I have something better for you. Why don't you ask, what can God do in this situation? What can God do? What is God about to do? Right? And sometimes it's a matter of what are we looking for, right? What are we looking at? And what's interesting to me is this man was not even looking for a miracle. He was not one of those who cried out and said, Jesus, save me. He wasn't asking to be healed. The disciples weren't asking for him to be healed. They weren't looking for the healing. Nobody's looking to actually heal and help this man except Jesus himself. And even the man is sitting there, as he had done every day of his life, doing the only thing he could do, which was beg for money. He had no other economic opportunities. He was in the place where he could get his money. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew his place. And he was just sitting in his place, doing his thing, accepting the position that he was in, not even looking for a change. But Jesus was looking for him. And the disciples were walking by, and they wanted to have this philosophical, theological, intellectual discussion, and they're not even looking to see what can change in this man's life. But Jesus is the one that says you need to be looking for what God can do so that the works of God might be displayed. You need to see what's about to happen. I am the light of the world. You all have been living in darkness, and now the light is about to show you some things that you have never seen before. Now, it's interesting the way that Jesus healed, isn't it? 
It was a little bit strange to some people this morning that Jesus spit in the mud, and he, or the dirt, and he made some mud, right? And he like put it on the man's eyes. That seems weird to us. That seems strange. I want to propose that back then, it might not have seemed so strange. Because again, with what did they have to heal blindness, right? I imagine that if he had wanted to be healed, and I don't know that he did. I don't know what his parents did. But he probably went to all kinds of people that tried to heal him, right? If you're still blind at 20, 30 years old, it's likely that you've tried a bunch of things. And back in that day and age, I don't think it would have been unreasonable to think that all kinds of paste had been put on his eyes, right? And in fact, some researchers say that during the time that Jesus lived, there are indications from other sources that people believed that saliva had healing properties to it. So it probably, I imagine that this man has, everybody has told him how to get out of his problem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had a health issue and everybody tells you exactly what to do and everybody's got the right idea of what you need to do and he's still blind. Nothing has worked. So the fact that Jesus spits in the mud, the dirt, makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, I don't think that that's that unusual to that man sitting there. But again, is he looking for the miracle? Does he expect something to happen? And I think to us living in this day and age, we ask, why did Jesus do it that way? Why did he do it that way, right? Why is Jesus healing in this particular way? Because he could have just snapped his fingers, right? He could have just spoken, be healed, see, right? He could have just said something. We like to think Jesus could have even just thought it, you know, and it just would have happened, right? I mean, we tend to think that that's all that it takes. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, spit in the dirt and make some mud or some versions say clay and put it on the man's eyes because Jesus Christ is the one we know from John who stood before creation with eternity in his hand and when he had created first of all what? light he then created everything in this universe and after he had created all the birds and the fish in the sea and the animals and the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the lakes and the sun and the stars and the sky and the air that we breathe, what did Jesus do? Because Jesus was the one who created, according to John chapter 1, Jesus bent down, right? And he picked up what? The dirt of the earth. And you know you can't form anything out of the dirt. So when he made clay to make the man, what did he add at creation? Some water. And he made clay and he formed the very first man, Adam. So Jesus is saying, I am restoring my creation. I am restoring my creation. I am restoring what sin has broken. I am restoring the disease that sin has caused in this world. I am restoring things to back to the way that they should be. I'm taking that which was broken and I'm putting it back together. And I'm recreating. I am renewing all things because that's what I'm here to do. Amen? Is that good news to anybody? Come on, I know I'm down in Hartford, but give me some good news. Everybody's like, yes, yes. Nod some heads, yes. That's good. That's good news. We see that Jesus, who created us, is interested in our healing, our restoration, in recreating us. Amen? Amen? And you notice, though, that even at that point, even at that point, the man was not healed yet. Did you catch that? He wasn't healed yet. What else had to happen? 
Jesus said, you need to get up, you need to go, and you need to wash. And then the man was healed. And I think this is so important because, again, we always expect God to move on our behalf, but Jesus wants us to move. Jesus wants us to participate in the miracle that he's about to do, right? Sometimes we need to get up and go because, as you know, and I know you know this is St. Paul's, right? The movement of God is to go. He sends us. Catch this. The one who was sent by God sends this man to a pool called Sent. Jesus is all about the sending. He's telling this man, you got to get up and you got to go. I've touched you. I've given you a powerful experience of my creative presence and energy on your life. But you got to get up and you got to go. You got to get up and you got to go. And I came here to tell somebody that this morning. Somebody that because God has touched you. It's like what we do here on Sunday morning. We receive the body and blood of Christ. We pray for healing and someone anoints us, right? Amen. I'm glad they don't put mud on their eyes today, all right? I don't know if you guys do that, but if you do, okay, God bless you. But no, we usually put oil, right? Put a little oil on someone's right? It's that touch of God. And we think that's our healing. And then you're going to go home and sit in the same place and do the same things you've always done and expect something different? We know what that is, right? <laughs> Jesus says, I have healed you, but I want you to walk it out. I want you to get up and I want you to go. And some of us, if we want to change, we need to change, right? It's as simple as that. If we want things to change, we need to change. We need to get up. Get up. The man had been sitting there his whole life. Didn't think there was anything else he could do but sit. Wasn't even looking to get up. But when Jesus came to him, he said, my child, my son, get up. Get up and go. Go where I send you. Right? We want to experience the power of God in our lives, but we don't want to go anywhere, right? <laughs> it's like, God, move in mighty ways. And then the next day, we're like, I don't even want to get out of the house right now. You know, I just want to sit and chill, right? But he says, go. And, of course, the washing is symbolic of the forgiveness of Christ. Amen? This story was so powerful to the early church, believing in the healing power of baptism that represents the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing through Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. It's all a part of the process of our healing, that we go, right? That we go. And that's, that's a good message right there. I think that's a good message. Now, what are we looking for? What are we looking at? You see, it's about that we're all living in some kind of blindness. And God wants us to see what he's about to do. And then it's that as God heals us, we participate in that healing, right? And everything is a part of God's healing. Everything. That there's no distinction between someone being healed by medicine and someone being healed by prayer. It's all a part of God. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes people try to say there's like one way or the other. It's not that because nothing is man-made, right? Man-made things are made. Do we create out of nothing? What do we create out of? At the very basic level, what do we create out of? Atoms, particles, things, right? Who created those? Jesus Christ. So like, so like even like, so when I was a kid, you know, I had to wear glasses when I was like 10 years old, okay? And that really bummed me out because I feel like nobody else was wearing glasses. Everyone called me names. I just felt like, oh, you know, I hate this. So I would pray, God, when I wake up, just let me see clearly. <laughs> like I wanted that instant miracle. I'm like, God, just do this miracle. And of course, I woke up and everything was still blurry. And I was like, oh, man, got to wear my glasses again. But those glasses or those contacts, you know, what I wear today, they're made out of the very particles that Jesus Christ made at the beginning of the world. So there's nothing. There's nothing that's apart from Jesus Christ and his power to heal. So he heals through prayer, he heals through mud, he heals through medicine, 
He heals through technology. He heals through wisdom. He heals through us coming to a realization. He heals mentally. He heals emotionally. It's all God's healing if we would see it as such because Jesus has created everything. And whatever ways he's calling you to be healed, do it. Do it. Whatever he's calling you to be healed, get up. Go. Go where God is calling you. Receive and walk in the healing and in the power and in the miracle that God wants him to do. But that's not quite the end of the story, right? Haters going to hate. That's what happens to this man. Haters going to hate. It's the truth, right? Because as soon as he's healed, his friends, the neighbors are like, oh, man, is that the guy that was blind? No, it can't be. That's not him. It's someone else. He's like, no, dude, it's me. You've known me all my life. And can you imagine his friends going, no, that's not you. You must be somebody else. He's like, no, it's me. And so they start this argument. And so they take him to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. And they, they, they say, what happened? How did you get healed? And he tells them about Jesus. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. He did this on the Sabbath? He spit in the dirt and made some mud clay? That's called working on the Sabbath. No, no, this man can't be good. He's not a prophet. And, tell, and so they're, they're like criticizing him and Jesus. And, and, and they're interrogating him. And they're questioning him. So he's getting all kinds of persecution and doubt to the point where the Pharisees are starting to argue with each other. They're like, oh, this Jesus, man, he's no good. Well, if he was no good, how could he heal a guy that's been blind from birth? And so they call for his parents. The man's parents come in, right? How excited would you be as a parent if your child that was born blind could finally see? How excited would you be? But the parents come in, and under the persecution of the religious leaders, they say, we want to know, parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if he was born blind, how come he can see right now? And John says the parents were scared because the Pharisees had said anyone that says Jesus is the Messiah is going to be kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the assembly, kicked out of the church. And then, so they said, well, uh, religious leaders, uh, Pharisees, um, the first question, yes, he is our son. We can answer that. The second question, yes, he was born blind. We can answer that. The third question, we don't know. We don't know how we can see. You'll have to ask him yourself. Can you imagine? His own parents left him hanging out to dry. So his friends have doubted him and criticized him. His religious leaders have doubted him and interrogated him and persecuted him. And now even his own parents won't stand up for him. And so they call him back in, and they question him a second time, and they say, listen, tell us again what happened. He said, I already told you. And then the man gets a little frustrated. He says, listen, all I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Listen, you guys are arguing about this. All I know is that once I was blind, but now I can see. And so as they continue to question him, the man gets a little frustrated. He says, listen, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to become his disciples? Like he pokes them a little bit. They're like, what? We're the disciples of Moses. We don't, we don't even know where this man comes from. And the man pokes him again. He's like, oh, that's interesting. You don't know where this man comes from? You know, no one's ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a blind man from birth. You know, and you say no one can do that if they're a sinner. So it's funny that you don't know anything about this, but yet here's what happened. And then they get really mad at him. They're like, you're a sinner. You know, and again, I love how the message says that you're nothing but dirt. Wow, you're nothing but dirt. And they kick him out of the synagogue. And now, where is this man? He's been healed. He can see. But his neighbors, his friends, his pastors, his family, they've all left him. 
They've all abandoned him. He's all alone. And I also came here to tell you this this morning. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Amen? When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Again, the whole time, Jesus is saying, are you watching for what I'm about to do? And sometimes it looks like it's not going in the right direction. And sometimes we find ourselves even on the outs with our friends, with our family, even with other leaders and influencers in our life. But you got to know that Jesus never leaves you. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just concerned about healing this man. He was concerned about restoring this man, right? He was concerned about his relationships. You see, Jesus didn't just want to have a power encounter where he heals him. But Jesus wants to come and do something even deeper in the life of this man. Jesus wants to heal us and he wants to bring us home. So when this man is all alone, Jesus wants him to know, I got your back. I got your back. I am with you. And I love this. And I'm going to look at this, if you will, with me from the message version of the Bible. It goes on to say in John chapter 9, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master. I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. You see, Jesus didn't just want to heal him. He wanted to bring him into a saving, loving relationship with God through his power and through his presence. Then Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. And this is the line that I love, and this is where I want to land this morning as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ, to experience his power and his presence in our midst. When Jesus heard they had thrown him out, he went and he found him. Quite simply, the message today is this. Jesus wants to heal you, and he wants to bring you home. Jesus wants to heal you, and he wants to bring you home. So that whatever it is in your life, the situation that you're in, Jesus wants you to participate in the miracle of getting up out of your situation, walking in the way that he calls you. And even though others may forsake you, even though you may suffer criticism and persecution and even begin to doubt, Jesus will always find you. When other people throw you out, Jesus will go out and find you. You see that? It's not about people coming in. It's about us going out and following Jesus. And some things that we should really think about this morning is this, can you see what God is doing in your life, first of all? Can you see what God is doing in your life? And that's what we're going to pray for you this morning. As we partake of communion and we have opportunity for prayer, we're going to ask that God would allow you to see what he's doing in your life, just like the man that was born blind from birth. Second part is, can you see what God is doing in the life of others? Because a lot of times we find ourselves like the disciples, right? We're not seeing what God is going to do in the life of other people, right? And we have reasons for that. Maybe we've been frustrated. Maybe we've prayed for a long time and it seems like nothing's happened. You know, I mean, there, there are reasons why we, we tend to forget what God can do in someone's life. But I think God is telling us as long as we're here this morning, as long as we're present, God is still at work. Amen. And so today might be a day that God renews just a little bit of your strength to pray for somebody else, for somebody you love, to know that God wants to find them 
They may be far away, but praying that Jesus would go out and find them wherever they are. And those are the questions I want us to ask this morning as we partake. And I love the fact that we are celebrating communion on this message. Because the very first communion, right, was when Jesus and the the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, this was the, the day he was resurrected. Remember, they sat down in their house, if you remember the story. And it says in the same language of communion that Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And what happened next? Does anybody remember? Their eyes were opened. Their eye, the first communion, their eyes were opened. And they recognized the presence of Jesus. And that's my prayer this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that whatever way you would open our eyes this morning, that as we break the bread and we share the cup together, that we might see and recognize your presence in our life, and in the life of others. In the power and the authority of Jesus' name we pray. Amen.